Welcome to Know Your Risk Radio on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. Know Your Risk Radio is hosted by Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Know Your Risk Radio is brought to you by Bulwark Capital, helping families navigate the ever-changing and often volatile markets. Know Your Risk Radio starts now. Here's your host, Zach Abraham. And we are back. Thank you so much for joining us for yet another of the most scintillating hours in finance radio. Pumped to be here again. And uh, I think it's now just our third week with the people down in Texas. We're like, Vi- we're, we're, excuse me, not Viking. <laughs> we're like Novocaine. Okay. Give us time and we'll work. We'll grow on you. I promise. No, I'm still excited to be down in the in, in Dallas. Um Tough loss for you guys, man. Um, huge fan of your I, I really like your quarterback. I just feel like you guys and Micah Parsons is just a stud. I just tough loss. And I just there's people calling out Dak. I I'm just I'm a Dak believer, man. I just think he's a great human being. I think he's a great quarterback. And I actually uh I, I don't know. I was sitting there listening to the the radio this morning on the way in. And they were talking about, or no, no, I was listening to an interview with Troy Aikman. And I was just sitting there thinking, you know, it, this seems to me, to me, we'll see if I'm right, but it just seems like the tipping point. It just seems like, um, I don't know. It just seems like they needed like that one last disappointment. And then next year, you just come out blazing with both teams need mature. You know, te- teams have to go through their own process. I'm glad they didn't fire McCarthy, I don't think he's the world's best coach. Anyway, this isn't football, right? This isn't know your risk football. Uh, but anyway, just pumped to be down there and and that being down in the Dallas area, I just I was shocked by that game. And you guys are probably like, yeah, I don't. Last thing I want to hear about that from is you. Well, at least you guys made the playoffs, right? We did not. So anyway, um, no, but happy to be there. Happy to be here. Happy to be there in Dallas with you guys, and uh, happy to be back in the chair, uh, getting warmed up. So. I was telling people, for our Dallas friends that don't know this, due to the the, the wonders and the, the mystical nature of radio programming, the first three minutes of the show are only aired on the first station that we started off at here in uh, 770 AM here in Seattle. And then, you know, the rest of the show is everybody else gets the rest of the show. But on that warm-up, I was talking to our folks, I was talking to everybody about <clears throat> the, the fascinating environment that we are in. At least to me, it's fascinating. And we had some interview. We had an interview planned for today, but I actually bumped it to next week because I wanted to spend the interview component time talking to Chase. And the reason I want to do that is because I think we are at a very critical, like, breaking point right now in markets. And the reason I think that is because markets are threatening. Now you're going to see a lot. Oh, we broke out new. Yeah, you're threatening a breakout to new highs on all three indexes, but just barely. You got to follow through on that. If we break out, guys, in this environment, I think it's one of those situations where you probably just need to put a lot of money in the the triple Qs and just put a stop loss, you know, shortly below it. Because in my opinion, when you see what these stocks are doing, especially the NASDAQ tech stocks, right? The same ones that have been the thing. When you see what they're doing in this environment against these interest rates, it, 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 look, and there's always the possibility we could be wrong. There's always the possibility two or three years from now, we'll look at it and go, those crazy valuations were justified. The market's right. Here's the thing that's never happened with one stock here or there. Sure. It's just never happened. You don't you don't get valuations this high and eventually turn around one day and go, oh, yeah, they were worth it. And why? Just because the value, in my opinion, the valuations are too stretch, they're too far out in front of what these companies are actually doing. And this is where I think people get in trouble in investing. They they pay too much attention to what's happening today or yesterday or tomorrow, and they quit thinking about. It's not just, do we think this is overvalued and where is this company going? It's saying, do you think that company can go through the next two or three years 
valued that perfectly. Because when, when, when you're looking at a company like a Microsoft that's trading at 16, approaching 17 times revenue, 15, it's, it's right in there. And, and it's that big. And remember, we're not talking about a company that's growing at 35 to 40% a year. We're talking about a company that's growing at 12. Okay, so you start running into a math problem. And I've said this before, it's just amazing. You know, it just keeps getting crazier and crazier. The other day, Apple was up 3.5%. That's a good day, right? But people are losing perspective. 3.5%, guys, is over $100 billion in a day off of no news on an analyst upgrade from some small shop talking about their new headset that's going to sell for like $2,500 a pop. They're not going to sell any of these. Even Apple knows that. That's not why they're launching it. It's it's kind of their first salvo, right? They're first dipping their toe into the water. And this analyst upgrade was just it was just the dumbest, most vapid analyst report. If I ran the company that that where an analyst wrote that, I would have fired him. Not not because I know he's wrong about any of his assertion. Nobody just the the connections and and the and the what he was it was just dumb. It was just vapid. He was saying that it's going to the 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 headset sales are going to drive a resurgence in iPhone sales because the new phones are more compatible and I'm like this is nonsense no one's buying the 25 you know how I know that cuz nobody bought the I mean go look at how underwhelming the sales of the Oculus headset have been go look at the best headset on the market Valve we and I know that cuz Tectonic the company that I'm on the board of that I was down with CES last week down in Vegas we do the audio for that headset. Okay, VR just hasn't taken off. I'm not saying it's not going to. But then you look at it and go, okay, let's say that headset is a quote-unquote success. The market cap went up $100 billion in a day. And I just, I, as simple of an observation as that is, I don't think anybody's looking at things this way. And they're going, you think that that analyst talking about a potential drive of more iPhone, you think that's worth a $100 billion upgrade of the biggest company in the world that is currently trading at the highest valuation it has at any point in the last 20 years with the worst financial performance at any point over that time? And look, I've said it and I'll say it again. I don't think that the hole's about ready to open up tomorrow and swallow all this stuff. I just think people are asleep at the wheel. I it's it it just looking <laughs> it's just getting eye-watering and I just don't think I think people are still looking at Apple like a stock and they're like, "Oh, it's a good day for the stock." And you go, "Gosh, it's a 100 billion dollar move on no news." And it's not like the thing's been beaten down for 40% this year and it's trading at 16 times earnings. It's trading at the richest valuation it's seen at any time over the last 20 years. Coming off of four straight quarters of declining revenue and declining margins. And I know I pick on Apple a lot. I They're an incredible company. Greatest cash machine of all time. Right? So I, I don't pick on the company. I've got an iPhone. Got AirPods, you know, iPads for the kids. No, no knock on them. It's not their fault. If, if I could get Bulwark to be valued like Apple, I'd do it, right? It's not their fault. It You just sit there and you look at investors and go, I, I don't understand what you expect. The CEO themselves has said, you've put, a, you've put a frothy growth multiple on a company that's contracting. Okay. I, I, I just don't get it. AI, what 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 part does Apple have to play in that? And then listen, I, Apple's tied into tech. I'm sure AI will be somewhat of a wind at their wind in their sails, but they're not at the tip of the spear of AI. It just, you know, and, and like I said, I don't mean to pick on Apple alone. I mean, you can go look at Netflix. Go look at. I mean, it just none of it makes any sense. None of it's uniform. Different companies are. I, it just it's just crazy. It's a crazy environment. So anyway. Um, what else? Uh, moving into the mar- more of the market update here. Anyway, that was my I, so so. Rather than doing the interview we had booked, I want to talk about the things that I want to talk about. I think we are an incredibly 
interesting. And again, this is my read on it, guys. And I don't have, you know, I don't have the ability to look into the future like anybody, nobody else does either. And I'm not saying, but when we sit back and look at this, I think we're at a fascinating period of time. If this breakout that you're seeing today that's been threatening for the last two two days or two weeks, two, three weeks, you've been kind of just playing around at these levels, threatening to break out and then pulling back down, threatening to break out and then pulling back down. Um, if you break out and today's move holds and you get follow through for, you know, first two days, three days or all of next week, um, I, I think you could be. I think you could be beginning. I think it's potential. I potentially, I think you could be looking at sort of a late eighties Japanese style deal. And, and the reason I say that is when you look at the valuations of the companies that are driving this, this, this market, when you look at their financial performance, remember all of these companies, even the big tech companies outside of NVIDIA, NVIDIA it's, it's, is its own deal. Um, and and just for people watching that thing continue to rally, good luck. Good luck. Uh, again, I, I think that they're a great company. I think they make awesome products. No knock on it. I just think there is so much extra. I don't think. I know. I know there is. There's so much extrapolation built into that stock price. It's insane. And everybody's like, well, the PE multiple isn't that big. Guys, you got to look at it as a, it, you have to look at NVIDIA right now. In my opinion, you have to look at it on a price to sales basis. Okay. Because the margins are going to be fat and they're going to be fatter now than they ever will be again, because they're the only game in town. There are several other games coming online. Those margins are going to compress. They're not going to keep, I mean, and you can just look at their gross margins. I think they were running, I think net margins last quarter were running at like 55% because they can charge anything they want for it. it's the only game in town the other amd's bringing a chip online amd's pretty crazy expensive too way more way less crazy on a price to sales basis than nvidia but man on a price to earnings basis whoo and and that's the tough part guys this isn't me singing the siren song i i will just tell you right now valuations are a horrible timing tool they 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 do not have a good track record. I'm just telling you right now, the valuations are getting so stretched, whether you believe the companies are worth it or not. If you're a sober minded investor, whether you believe in the AI thing or not, and I think AI is going to be a big deal. Okay. But if you're a sober minded investor, you start looking at the, the, the market capitalization of these companies how all the growth rates and earning metrics are moving in the wrong direction and not horribly, but I'm just, when you look at the action for the majority of these companies, when you look at the underlying economy, again, NVIDIA does not surprise me. It's that's kind of a deal to itself. But when you look at the rest of them, um, maybe they'll be worth it. Maybe they won't. I, I, I don't know. Right. It's probably a mix. But it's just very reminiscent of 2000, meaning you look at some of the co companies that got slaughtered there. Some of them ended up being the companies that are part of that Magnificent Seven today, right? But they got way out ahead of their skis, and it's not like they got killed. It's not like they started doing stupid stuff. The market needed 10 years to digest, to give them time to grow and digest those rates, right? Those, those valuations. And I, I'm just telling you, at some point... And I, I think we're closer than, than we've been, clearly. You know, because every, every day we're closer to that real. I I'll just warn you right now. You're playing a you're playing a you're playing a shell game. Okay, you're just if you're if you're loaded up on these companies, you're gambling. Okay, I I, I now do, could you have some exposure to them? Sure, I'm not saying that. The problem is most of you don't. Most of you're loaded up. No, I'm not, Zach. I own the S and P. Well, if you own the S and P 500, you own 40. percent Almost one half of your portfolio is in those companies. And I think you should have some exposure. I'm not saying that. I just think when you look at the valuations and you look at the level these things are trading at, I think you need to have exposure. But I also think that that exposure needs to be risk protected. 
And then you're sitting there going, well, Zach, why should we have exposure if they're so overpriced? This is why I want to have Chase Taylor on to talk about this, because I think we're at a very interesting point. If if these companies are going to shake off all of this fundamental stuff that is not conjecture, right? It is fact, right? Meaning higher interest rates do not equal higher valuations on anything, nothing. Sometimes banks, because they can make a little more money on interest, but not in this environment. And so if you break out to new all-time highs and then you look at their earnings trajectory, their growth trajectory, all of them are slowing. Again, NVIDIA is a different story. At the very least, all of them are slowing. Some of them, Apple has actually gone into reverse, right? So they are performing worse than at any point over the last 10 to 12 years, and yet they have reached their zenith as far as price and valuation. If you break out from here, I'm just – I'm not saying – this is going to happen. I'm saying you have to entertain the possibility of a runaway market to the upside, right? Like a, you know, a, I'm not saying it'll do this, but I'm saying a 19, late 1988-89 Japanese blow-off top where that market got up to what, like 105 times earnings or something like that and then just got destroyed and then stayed destroyed for 30 years. Again, I'm not saying that's going to happen here. I don't think it will. Japan, you know, is not us, right? They don't play the same role. What my whole point in saying that though is I've been doing this for a while. I've just never seen stocks move so independent from underlying valuations. And right now is a perfect example. What did we get this week? We got a lot of hot data. Now, remember last year we were telling you at the end of last year, we were saying, hold on. If you think things are weird now, things are going to get really weird because as economic data gets worse, you're going to see stocks start rallying. This is what we were saying two to three months ago because markets will start. We were actually saying that most of last year. We were, we were saying, look, markets will start rallying just because of, of, of rate cuts regardless of what the underlying. Why did we know that? Because that's the way this entire cycle has worked. No one looks at fundamentals. All they're looking at is the central banks and rates. That's all they're looking at because that's been the game. And I understand it. Now the game's changed because we're not on 0% interest rates anymore. But, you know, 15 years, it shouldn't surprise anybody that this market's gotten blind and dumb, right? Central banks have been anesthetizing every sense of risk for the last 15 years. So markets don't see it. You want evidence of that? Go look at the banking situation of last year. <laughs> you got banks that didn't realize they were sitting on a, on a, on a duration time bomb, right? Why, why didn't they see that? Because risk has not mattered for 15 years, right? You just see it over and over and over and over. But but I will tell you, if you can still break out to new highs from here, that's where you have to go. All bets are off. And I'm just telling you what we'll do on our side of it is if we do that, if we hold that level through next week, we'll probably put 30 to 40% of the value portfolio in the triple Qs and just put a tight short stop, stop loss underneath it. I don't want to do that. It feels very un investor-ish, right? <laughs> For lack of a better term. Um, but at the end of the day, my job is to make our clients money. And um, I, 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 I'll, I'll just tell you, I, you go pull up a chart. When you make a new all-time high, get hammered, trough, and over the course of two years, come back and then break out to a new tall, there aren't many more bullish chart patterns than that. There just aren't. So, and it's a, it's a, it, technically speaking, despite what we all know underneath the surface, it is a very, very bullish chart on the markets. And <clears throat> I'm not at all sure what all that means. I'm just sure that, and again, I'm not trying to speak our own book. I, I just look at this market and I think, keep thinking to myself, man, if you're not managing risk and you don't have a mis risk management strategy in place, good luck. Good luck. Just, just because if, if you're trying to be a disciplined investor, you have underperformed. And if you think you're a disciplined investor and you haven't underperformed, you're not a disciplined investor. I'm, I'm just telling you, okay? If you had a good year last year, it's one of two things. You were either loaded up on uranium or one of three things. You're either loaded up on uranium, got lucky on some weird stock, or you were loaded up on the, on the Magnificent Seven, right? Period. Period. So I, you're reaching a point if stocks break out from here, especially these tech companies, I, I almost think you have to throw in the towel if you are 
bearish or if you have a negative outlook. And and like I said, I just I think that's where the risk management strategies come into place. And and I'll I'll just tell you what we'll do. We'll be watching it like a hawk every day, but we'll just keep marching that stop loss up with that position. And hopefully we get a ride out of it. But um I'm still hoping that doesn't happen, and I'm not hoping for carnage. You guys know that. I'm not sitting here saying I think the bottom's about ready to open up and swallow. I'm hoping that doesn't happen because everybody will be excited if that happens. It's not a good thing. Okay, it's just not. The higher we go, the further we'll fall, period. And we're at that level. You just can't keep doing this. And people are like, Zach, yes, people say, I – or, or look, here's the other deal. We don't know that maybe AI is going to take over the entire world and nothing else matters. And I'm, hey, look, I'm not being facetious. Okay. I'm, I, you have to look at markets differently than you ever have after the last three years. You just do. Had you told me that markets did what they did last year with the economic backdrop and rates doing what they were doing? And like I said, people are like, well, that's why nobody can time. It's not about time in the market, guys. It's about literally on a financial basis, those companies are worth less and the market bid them to the moon. It, it, it's just that simple. I'm not saying they should have gotten killed harder. I'm not saying they should have gone down more again last year. We went into last year long, not a lot. We were very careful, but we weren't short. And we weren't because, you know, I thought there was still a lot of froth in the market going into last year, but I thought it warranted a wait and see approach, right? Like this is a really weird environment, a wait and see approach. Uh, what I think is hilarious is what the market ended up doing last year because I don't, I see absolutely zero impetus for it. Just none. Everybody's slowing down. You, you, I was looking at Shopify the other day, wondering, because I think they're, they're an interesting company that's done some really interesting things, thinking, you know what, it might be a good time. I went and looked at their stock. They're still trading at 30 times revenue. Their, their growth rate is slowed down to the low 20%. It was at like 60, right? And when it was at 60, it was trading at like 25 to 30 times revenue. That growth rate is now a third of what it was. They're still burning cash, and it's still valued at 30 times revenue. I, it just... It just continues to shock me that people where you look at them and it's just no one really cares anymore if it's worth it. The question is all, is it going up? And, you know, Chase and I were talking this morning, maybe markets have changed. I don't think so. Usually every time when somebody has said that in the past, it told you that you were right at a top or right at a bottom, right? Conversely, when people throw up their hands and go fundamentals don't matter anymore, they always matter. It's all investing is. You just go through these periods of times where investors forget that. Now, I would have thought this would have been over by now, but there's a very unique set of right, a very unique set of uh, of deals going on. Really, a lot of different inputs. This is not your grandparents' market. This is not your grandparents' economy. Certainly not your grandparents' country. So I, I'll just tell you guys. I think more than ever, it's all about risk management because if you're trying to navigate this market on a fundamental basis, good luck. I'm just it doesn't make any sense on a fundamental basis. Um, and the, the, and you can also see it in the market movements, meaning when value and other things that do make sense are working, tech stalls out or goes down. When tech starts working, almost everything else in the market stalls out. It just sucks the oxygen out of the room and everybody piles onto that one side of the boat. It's just not a market. This is not a price discovery mechanism. It has turned into a machine that runs on printed money where we're at so anyway we got to take a quick break stick with us through the break we'll be right back you're listening to know your risk radio podcast download and subscribe at knowyourriskradio.com this is know your risk radio with zach abraham listen to zach uncover the truth about the financial markets with simple and honest advice to help you plan for retirement get your free copy of zach's new booklet common sense investing go to knowyourriskradio.com 2024 has the potential to be a wild ride. Risk management's never been more important. Are you confident your portfolio is protected? Join Bulwark Capital Zach Abraham for his live 2024 preview Thursday, January 25th. Todd, with the election looming, continued global unrest, rising cost of living, and this crazy market volatility, protecting retirement portfolios has never been more critical, and it's our number one focus. Don't just ride out 2024. Join Zach for his live webinar and learn how they are actively managing every portfolio. We do it with Bulwark's risk management strategy, always seeking opportunities to lower risk 
lower cost, and give you as much upside as possible. Don't miss Zach's free 2024 preview Thursday, January 25th. Register now at knowyourriskradio.com. That's knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advisory services offered through Trek Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Investments involve risk and are not guaranteed. Past performance doesn't guarantee future results. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital Management. And we are back. Our good, I don't know if anybody noticed that, but a good buddy of ours is back in the news. Good old Boeing. Look, I actually think Boeing provides a pretty good um, a pretty good learning opportunity for us right now. For those of you that haven't been listening to this show for a long time, I've talked about this. I think I talked about it a couple weeks ago, but we did a big expose on Boeing back in 2019, and I interviewed a, uh, seven or eight people at different levels, all different departments at the company. And I came out and did a show on March 1st, 2019, telling everybody to sell Boeing, that it was a pile, steaming pile of garbage, that management was reckless and feckless and dumb. You may be able to be able to say that they're morally questionable. Um, I still think the, at least the ones I know and the vast majority of the, the people that work there, unbelievable talent. Uh, salt of the earth, love the employees, hate the management. And um, I, and I'm not saying that bad management is why that door popped out. What I'm saying is Boeing to me, bad management is kind of similar to me of ridiculously overpriced valuations. Okay. And what I'm saying is, I don't need to stick around to see the ending. I know how it'll play out, right? Show me a dumb coach. I'll show you a team that isn't going to win. Show me horrible management like Boeing has. And I'll just say it unequivocally. I think they're idiots. I think they're incredibly short-sighted. I think they're bureaucrats. I don't think there's an engineer-minded person around them. I think Boeing has culturally completely lost its way. What's, what's interesting about it is you go talk to the employees there, they'll tell you the exact same thing. Morale there has got to be at a record low. Nobody believes or trusts management. They think management is feckless. Um, I personally sat there and watched that labor management relationship with Boeing deteriorate over the last 10 years. And with management that bad, it should. And, and this is how you know, this is, and, and I don't mean to beg on this guy, but, but it's a perfect illustration of me of just the horrific, vapid nature of this stock market. I'm still laughing at the fact that Jim Cramer anointed Boeing his favorite reopening stock. And I said at the time, the, the, if you're a Jim Cramer fan, this should be – and I'm, no, I'm, I'm not beating up on Jim. I'm really not. I want you to hear what I'm saying. I'm saying that whenever I heard somebody like him say that, I immediately knew that they did no work on the company. They, they might have read an analyst report. Maybe they talked to a CEO, but they'd done no real work because everything, his arguments, they were all nonsense. He talked about all Boeing's cost cuts. They didn't cut costs. They deferred them. He didn't do the work. And I think it's just so emblematic of, of this whole market, right? And like I said, valuations and bad management to me are, 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 are very similar, meaning give it time, give it time, and they will both play out. Just like good management, right? Flip side of it would be good management. And, and too cheap. Give it time and it'll work out. And I think that's, I, I think that's, I, I think that's very tough. I think that we as investors feel an urgency to be making money every single day. And I will just tell you that fear of missing out because I can sense it in a lot of the client conversations I have again, I'm having now again, that fear FOMO is back. Okay, even while the underlying economy is not, right? FOMO is back. And what I'm telling you is anytime you feel that, you need to immediately tell yourself, if I give into this, it may make things better in the short run, 
But if I do this, if I give into FOMO, I am guaranteeing myself worse returns over the future. Why? Because anytime you're buying yourself, buying something on a FOMO basis, you will end up regretting it eventually. Because what makes the best investments? It's the opposite of FOMO. It was buying oil back in the summer of 2020. That's what makes great. It was buying Bed Bath & Beyond, which has since gone bankrupt. But at the time, it just got way too cheap. And there were bad reasons. Re- Bed Bath & Beyond got killed during COVID. And the whole argument was it's not a, it doesn't have a big enough online presence. Well, again, nobody had done the homework. Uh, Bed Bath & Beyond had built up their online presence drastically the year leading into COVID. And so when we saw that and the stock got driven down to $3 a share, we bought it. They were trading at a discount to the cash they had on hand, not net cash, but cash they had on hand. And we were like, hey, they're going to post some really nice quarters and this thing could be ripe for a short squeeze because everybody's saying they don't have an online presence. They do. How did we know that? We actually did the work. Okay. But what I'm saying, and Bed Bath & Beyond, now that's not a great example because it turned into a meme stock, but Bed Bath & Beyond, we bought it way before that happened, picked it up at $3.50, and I think we ended up selling it at $38. Okay, so you got like a, what would that be? So like a 12x return, something like that. But, But, right, this market has really distorted the way people see things. Because they've seen all of these stocks just go up on meme bay. I'm just telling you guys, there's a pile of value out there that no one's looking at because everybody's focused on tech and the Qs and ARC and all this kind of stuff. But they're, they're, it's out there. It's out there. But we got to remember. We got to avoid the Boeings and we've got to avoid the ridiculous valuations because at the end of the day, that's all investing is. It's buying future cash flows at discounted prices. That's all it is. And when you're buying, when you're buying a stock that's trading at 30 times revenue, negative cash flowing, what are you buying? Now, like I said, maybe it works out. I, nobody knows. I'm just saying if you do that over and over again, you're going to get, you, you will get slaughtered, slaughtered. But seriously, that's a question. If you're buying a company that is growing at 22% a year, Great revenue, great. That's great. But that revenue growth rate is slowing drastically. A few years ago, it was at 60, prior to COVID even. 50 or 60% revenue growth. So it slowed dramatically, okay? But if you're buying a company like that at 30 times revenue with negative cash flow, what are you buying? And that's the other thing I have a tough time with. I don't know the answer to that question. Now, when interest rates are at zero, I'm not going to care as much. Right, because I don't have a clock ticking against me. Right, meaning debt's not paying me anything anyway. I can afford to pay more than, but but that's not the case we're in today. And that's what I'm saying. I look at all these things. This market would make sense to me if rates were zero. They're not. They're five and a half percent. It's 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 a crazy crazy environment. So anyway, what what other what wanted to go tie this up? Uh, Let's see. Do we have any other things on the market update? Oh, no, but but the hot data thing, like I was telling you, we're tying this up, the hot data uh, issue. Um, why were we saying in the last month and a half of last year we expected some hot data to come in the first quarter, which it has? We're, we're actually – we just got an inflation. Now, it's only one report, so we got to see, but we just saw inflation go up again month-over-month uh, month increase and fairly sharp uh, for the first time in eight months, Right? Jobs report came in hotter than expected. Almost all now it didn't, it wasn't like, you know, we're taking off again or anything like that. But pretty much positive surprise on all the economic numbers. How do we know that? It's simple. Financial conditions eased. And I think that this economy is more financialized than it ever has been. Meaning when assets go up, I think that that is far more beneficial to the entire economy than it's ever been. And I think when asset prices go down, mainly stocks, I think it's far more penal to the environment than it's ever been. And I think there's several reasons for that. A, I think a lot of consumer spending came from markets going ballistic, right? B, the biggest, richest generation in the history of the country is retiring at the pace of something like twelve to 13,000 a day. And that number within the next five years, I think, is projected to go up to 15,000 a day. Okay, and the minute they retire, they start living off of what? They start living off their investments. 
Okay. So if their investments go up 20% in a year, they're probably going to spend more. Right. And this is the part that we've been railing on the Fed, which is the Fed wants to tamp down inflation, but wants to, you know, be supportive to the stock market. People are like, well, look what they did last year. Okay, guys, if they didn't want to be supportive to the stock market, when inflation is still well above their target, their self-declared target, why is it that Powell right at the end of the year was talking tax cut or, or rate cuts? Before the Fed had accomplished their goals, before they reached those metrics, why were they talking rate cuts? Why? You finally had inflation moving in the right direction. You start talking rate cuts. And I think this is the issue. I I think at some point the Fed decided that one of their mandates was to be supportive to the stock market and provide liquidity all the time. And I think you can see that. I don't think it's a conspiratorial assertion on my part. Right. Just look at the way that they've managed liquidity. Right. Listen to the things they've said about liquidity. They've literally talked about liquidity as if it is another mandate. They've talked about they think it's their job to keep ample liquidity in markets at all time. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Right. Contractions and recessions one of the hallmarks for them is liquidity dries up, not completely, but dries up. Why? Because usually at the top of type top of cycles, a bunch of non-economic things have been funded. And once the curtain falls and everybody realizes that, nobody wants to buy those things anymore. Liquidity dries up. It's a function. It's part of the way markets work. Liquidity is ample when things are healthy and 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 and, and, you know, economies are functioning the way they should and people are putting capital in them. But there is an aspect of regardless of what's happening, when you're constantly pumping liquidity into a system, you're, you're distorting things on a massive level. To, to, uh, and, and we don't, I don't, nobody, including me, really knows what it all means just because we've never really done it before. But One of the reasons, one of the primary reasons that markets go down in recessions is because of less liquidity. There's more selling, there's less buying. So when you're, it's, it's almost like you're, it's almost like you're hot wiring markets. Well, he raised interest rates. You go, yeah, but you're pumping in hundreds of billions of dollars of liquidity right behind it. What do higher interest rates do? They pull money out of markets. They soak up liquidity. That's the whole point. And I've actually learned a lot through this cycle because I actually think that by and large, if you're pumping liquidity into a system, I don't think interest rates are nearly as important as we were led to believe that they are. I think the reason interest rates have been really effective in the past at times at, at, at tamping down inflation is because they bring down liquidity. And so I just the Fed's trying to have it both ways. And what you see is them approaching this point very quick where they're going to have to make a decision, okay? If we don't want markets to go down and our whole policy stance is avoid recession at all costs, which is, again, another policy mistake, okay? Again, and people go, why do you want recession? I don't want recessions. What, what I do fear, though, are arrogant bureaucrats not showing the proper caution as it relates to unintended consequences. Meaning, if you have a system that has created the biggest, baddest, toughest, richest economy in the face of the world, and all of a sudden you want to eliminate a feature of that economy, which is recessions that happen historically every six and a half years, if you want to do that, the level of arrogance required to think that that might not possibly result in outcomes that aren't desirable, it, it's just – it is ridiculous. And it scares me to death that those are the people that are in charge of this economy, right? We're going to get all the upside, but we're getting rid of the downside, and trust me, it's going to be great. Everybody's going to like it. Yeah, right? I got a fitness program for you. You can eat whatever you want. You never have to work out. And you're going to look like a Greek god. Where else does that work in life, guys? We're going to remove the consequences, but the upside won't change at all. All we're eating is cake and ice cream from now on, baby. 
And, and, and like I said, why is that scary? Because when history is very clear, okay, anytime asset prices, regardless of what they're in, when they separate from cash flows, okay, the further they separate from cash flows, the worse the correction is. It's just that simple. So what do you do? I don't know, right? And this is why we do what we do, okay? Because now this has gotten really crazy, but this has been a very non-fundamentally bubbly type market for a really long time. And that's another reason why I'm cautious, guys. That's another reason why you don't hear me going, the sky's falling, the sky. Look, historically, we would be saying that because the setup looks that bad. Historically, our government would not be running 6 to 7% deficits of GDP in an expansion, right? Historically, it's not normal to see Social Security go up by 10 to 12% in a single year. Historically, the Fed hasn't printed $3 trillion of, uh, of money and made it rain across an entire economy. So historically, and I've said this before, historically right now, the one thing I'd be looking for is an opportunity to get really short. But when I see all these other things happening as a risk manager, I've got to be aware of risks on both sides. And the reason we've developed this strategy and this system and these rules and this disciplined approach that we follow is exactly for times like these. Because if the market rallies for no reason and inflation accelerates and the market finishes up another 25 or 30% this year, I can't have our clients miss out on that, right? Because inflation's a real deal. We got to grow their assets. We got to keep them competitive with inflation. Last year stunk, but we outperformed by almost the same amount the previous year. So it was a wash. This year, that's not the case. And so part of that risk management strategy is when things start going this way, rather than fighting it, just saying, hey, we'll ride the, we'll, we'll ride the pony. We're just going to put an exit price right down here. And we're going to stick to it. We're going to stay disciplined. And if that baby keeps ramping on us, great. We'll just keep moving that stop loss up and we'll ride the wave. Because like I said, it is possible. Maybe I'm sitting here doing the show three years from now and I'm looking at you and saying those valuations weren't stretched. Am I skeptical? Yes. Why? Because that's never been the case. Not when they're this high. Right? Not when they're this high. Not when they're behaving like they're behaving. Not when they're ignoring interest rate hikes. Not when they're ignoring lower earnings. Lower profitability. I mean, look at this week. What are you, what are you effectively up on the week? And up on a week in which the market priced out three t- hikes or three, three cuts. Why would you go up on a week in which three cuts that the market was expecting get pulled off? You do it because the assets have become detached from fundamentals, right? And in an environment like that, we have learned the lesson that, yes, that can be the hallmark or that can be the sign of an imminent collapse or imminent risk, but it can also be the sign of a jailbreak higher, i.e. Japan in the late 80s. And that's where that risk management process comes in. You need to have a portfolio that you know is going to insulate you when the proverbial stuff hits the fan because it will, right? Trees don't grow to the sky. It's crazy to watch people fall for this every cycle. Well, it's different this time. No, it's not. No, it's not. And this cycle has gone on long enough to have – that's why everybody's bullish right now. That's, that's where you see the bullishness. It's because the cycle has gone on so long. And it's because everybody has learned over the last 15 years, don't pay attention to the economic outlook. Just – Keep riding the stock market, baby, because it's just gone up and up and up and up and up, right? That That's that's what they're thinking. Go look at them. Chase was telling me this morning that Davey Day Trader, Dave Portnoy, he's back in trading stocks. I mean, man, if this ain't a top, every bell has been rung, but it may not be. And that's where I was saying that risk management strategy. You got to know that you're good either way. Right? Does that mean we're going to hit the nail on the head every single time? No. But what it does mean is you've got teams of people watching over your assets 24 hours a day and adjusting to changes in real time and constantly looking out and, and constantly putting on that protection to prevent that catastrophic loss. Okay. If that sounds good to you, and it probably should in this environment, especially if you're close to retirement, guys, 
like I've said all the time, look, don't call us after you've lost 30 or 40%. You're like, oh, yeah, just, okay, you, you're all old enough. Come on. You really think that you're re- – what do you, you think Apple's going to 30 times revenue? You, you think Microsoft's going to 40? Wake up, people. Okay, they're <laughs> – the other thing is we can increase your upside exposure. Okay, we're not asking to manage risk and sit on the sidelines and not make anything. That doesn't guarantee we're going to knock the ball out of the park every year. We won't. What it does mean is we're not going to risk losing half your money. Okay, and if we avoid the big losses, we will outperform in the longer run. It's just math. Like I sat there and told you a hundred times, right? If you rode the stock market from the year 2000 to today, you're up about seven and a half, eight percent. Okay. If over that same period of time from 2000 to today, you were in an account that never made more than 75% of the upside of the market. So markets up 10, that accounts up seven and a half markets up 20. That account was up 15, but simultaneously never lost more than 30% of the downside. So if the market was down 10, you were down three market was down 30. You were down 10. Okay, you run those numbers and over the same period of time, you'd have made 14 and a half percent. You would have almost doubled your performance, even though in the up years, you never made more than the market. You always made 25 percent less than the up years. Why does it work that way? Because so few people understand the math of loss. You lose 20 percent, you need 25 to get back to even. You lose 30 percent, you need 43 percent to get back to even. You lose 40 percent, you need 67 percent to get back to even. And you lose 100 percent or 50 percent, you need 100 percent to get back to even. I was listening to somebody sitting there touting Kathy Wood's fund that was up 35 or 50 percent or something like that last year. They're like, why didn't we get a move like that? And I go, well, we weren't down 80 percent the previous two years. Okay. If you lose 80% and you go up 50, guess what? You're still 70% off your high, right? Play with those numbers. Look at those numbers on your own. Play with that. Take a hundred grand and throw a 50% loss on it and then throw a 50% gain. Play with the numbers. What you start seeing really quickly, and this is why Buffett says the first three rules of managing other people's money. Rule number one is don't lose money. And rules two and three are see rule number one. It's not like he's saying money or stocks going down is unacceptable. You should never accept it. The reason he was saying that was because if you avoid the big losses, that is the easiest way to outperform over the long run. And that's probably what we should all be looking at right now, right? Look at the state of the world. Look at the presidential elections coming up. Look at our choices in those presidential elections. Look what's going on geopolitically. Maybe everything goes to the sky. If it does, great. We're going to give you a portfolio with more upside. But if it doesn't, if it doesn't, we're going to give you a portfolio that will finance your retirement regardless of what happens economically. Give us a call, 866-779-RISK and 866-779-RISK. Also, go to our website because you don't have to call us. You could just attend our free seminar next next week, uh, the 25th at 3.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So 6.30 Eastern Standard Time. And it's a 45-minute presentation. We run you through how we do everything. It's on Zoom. Uh, show you our whole process, performance, cost, all that kind of stuff. When you leave, you're going to have a very good understanding of what we do and how we do it. And then if you want to go on further from there, you can contact us and schedule a call with me or one of our advisors. If not, tip of the cap. Wish you the best of luck. Not going to sell your information. Not going to keep calling you and bugging you. So it's a great way to kind of kick the tires and just see what we're doing and and see if there's a potential fit. So that's going to be next week, the 25th at 3.30 p.m. Go to bulwarkcapitalmanagement.com. Automatic box pops up. You sign in there. All you need is your name and your email. And we'll email you the link that day and we'll be good to go. So anyway, got to take – well, actually, that's about it. I think for the day, I think we're almost out of time. So the other thing I want you to do though, I want you to remember to stay on. I want, I want you to hear this interview that I do with Chase today because I do think it's really important. It was important enough for me to rejigger our, our uh, schedule to, to have this conversation with him. Cause I think we're very, for me, perplexing, uh, but really fascinating, really interesting, really key points in this market with a lot of key wild bizarre stuff going on. Um, and I really think that 
of course, we've been talking about this for like the last three weeks. Really, nothing's changed. We're just still bouncing around these levels, threatening a breakout. And should it be breakout? But not based on anything we see. But if it does, I think it's something we got to listen to. So anyway, stick around. Well, you don't have to stick around on here. You go to the radio show uh, or the podcast site. You type in – you can just Google Know Your Risk Radio Podcast. You can go to the Apple podcast sites. You can go to Spotify. Wherever you get iTunes or podcasts, we're on there. But again, it's free, no pay, no paywall. But you're going to want to hear this interview with Chase Taylor because I think it's – I think it holds the key. I think I think we're looking at at a period of time that's going to probably determine the rest of the year. So we'll see how it goes. Anyway, have a great weekend. Got some great football coming up. Um, well, not for Chase and I. His Browns got knocked out. Seahawks, Lord knows what happened to us. So anyway, but the rest of you, I, I'm a lot of other folks out there have some folks in the in the playoffs. So hopefully things go better for you. Anyway, have a great weekend. We'll see you again next week. Again, you're not going to want to miss it. Check the podcast. You're going to want to hear this interview coming up with Chase Taylor. We'll see you next week. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at Know Your Risk Radio and sign up for the seminar, BulwarkCapitalManagement.com. Next next week, the 25th at 3.30 p.m. You won't want to miss it. You're listening to Know Your Risk Radio podcast. Download and subscribe at KnowYourRiskRadio.com. Thanks for listening to Know Your Risk Radio with Zach Abraham, Chief Investment Officer at Bulwark Capital. Whether it's preservation of capital or an aggressive growth strategy, every investor needs a clearly defined risk profile. Schedule your free risk review with Zach Abraham now at KnowYourRiskRadio.com. Zach will be back with more Know Your Risk Radio next Saturday at noon on 97.3 Cairo FM and AM 770 KTTH. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. Investment advice cannot be given without a client service agreement. Bulwark Capital Management is an investment advisor representative of Trek Financial, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. 2024 has the potential to be a wild ride. Risk management's never been more important. Are you confident your portfolio is protected? Join Bulwark Capital Zach Abraham for his live 2024 preview Thursday, January 25th. Todd, with the election looming, continued global unrest, rising cost of living, and this crazy market volatility, protecting retirement portfolios has never been more critical, and it's our number one focus. Don't just ride out 2024. Join Zach for his live webinar and learn how they are actively managing every portfolio. We do it with Bulwark's risk management strategy, always seeking opportunities to lower risk, lower cost, and give you as much upside as possible. Don't miss Zach's free 2024 preview Thursday, January 25th. Register now at knowyourriskradio.com. That's knowyourriskradio.com. Investment advisory services offered through Trek Financial LLC and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Investments involve risk and are not guaranteed. Past performance doesn't guarantee future results.